Orin Vance steps out into the cold, bracing against the chill and clutching the aged tome tighter in his hands as he makes his way back toward the tracer. He puts one foot onto the ship's ramp and pauses to take in the perpetual night sky of Darkseid on Verses. A fitting place for a temple, he thinks to himself, here on a mountaintop where the constellations are always visible, Ibra's majesty in full display. But all was not well here, as he had recently discovered. A few months ago, he was a prisoner on the Shadow Plane, and his jailer had delivered him, along with Ziva and Zeno, to an Hebraic temple desecrated in the name of Zankuthan as if to add insult to injury. Although Orin's time there was brief, he had glanced through the skylight in the temple and had a rough idea of where he was. He hoped that he could retrace his steps on the material plane, at least close enough, for Zeno to jump the tracer into the shadow plane to search for its location. Zeno's consciousness was now completely merged with the ship's systems, and although Orin didn't fully understand the technomancy involved, he was grateful to have Zeno's assistance. He certainly preferred Zeno to Terry. After all, Zeno had been his comrade, and Terry was little more than a nuisance as far as Orin was concerned. He'd also asked Ziva to assist him. He was reluctant at first to come to the captain with his request, but their time trapped in the rune drive had been formative for both of them, and she didn't hesitate to agree when he told her that he needed her help in cleansing the Shadow Temple of Zankuthan's corruption. So together they had set out for Verses, and the stars led him to Darkseid, where to his surprise, an Hebraic temple stood on the peak of a mountain. Planar parallels were strange to Orin, yet another facet in the mystery of the cosmos. Hoping to gain some insight into the situation there, Oren decided to introduce himself to the researchers, but his reputation preceded him. They had made quite the mess in Kuvakara, and despite D9's attempts to damage control, word had spread about the APA and Eclipse Innovations, and the Star Shaman was of particular interest to the scientists and priests here at the temple. The recognition made Oren uncomfortable, there was nothing to be done about it now, he supposed, and at least the Verthani priests were amiable towards him. In fact, they wasted no time informing him of several strange occurrences around the temple lately. There had been unexplainable interferences with their spells, constellations appearing to move erratically when studied through their telescopes, scientific equations outputting seemingly impossible answers, among other anomalies. Orrin suspected they must be related to the desecration of the parallel shadow temple, although he didn't understand exactly why or how that was possible. He explained to the Hebraic priest his purpose on Verses, and they told him that they possessed a pre-gap tome containing a consecration ritual, the details of which they would be more than happy to transfer to his datapad. Oren insisted on taking the book. The cold disrupts his reverie as a shiver creeps up his spine. He pulls the tome to his chest and walks up the steps into the tracer, raising the ramp behind him. Nariko Ziva Rajni watches as her friend and pilot walks back up the ramp into the tracer the ever-present robes of his faith fluttering in the cold wind. For a moment, the present slips away, and she sees him not in the material plane, but back in the nightmare scape that was their shared prison for what seemed like eons. With a small shake of her head, she wills her mind back to the moment at hand, dispersing the horrible vision from her thoughts. From the corner of her eye, she sees Zeno Seven in his holographic form, Again, a memory seems superimposed on the present. She sees Zeno V's body disintegrate after their flight on Aurelis, then again as Zeno VI, dispersing his form in order to bring the crew back from the Shadow Plane. 
For a moment, she focuses on the three ghostly variations of the android. Xeno-7 stares back, and a bittersweet ripple of loss flares in her chest. Though the face is familiar, he lacks the subtle emotional quirks of the android that had been so kind and selfless. The Xeno she knew and loved had been lost to them, and although it still somewhat hurt to see the AI integration that so closely resembled him, she was grateful to have even some aspect of her friend remain. She blinks, and the past representations fade away. She smiles and turns to Oren, now noticing a large, ancient-looking book held close to his chest. So, doing some light reading, eh? Oren grins out of the corner of his mouth and turns to her. Know anything about, uh, consecration rituals, Cap? Oren informs her of what he learned from the temple's inhabitants as he thumbs through the dusty tome, stopping over a particular passage. Hmm. Looks like we need a third. In the mystic eyes, Xeno-7's hologram. I don't think you're going to be able to help us with this one, buddy. Xeno stares blankly for a few moments, his processors computing potential solutions. The old Xeno would often f rub his chin while thinking. I will begin preparations for our jump into the Shadow Plane. You didn't catch that last bit, Xeno? We need one more for the ritual. You want me to go ask one of the stargazers out there? Unnecessary, Oren. I believe I have a satisfactory resolution for your inadequate staffing issue. However, we will need to jump first. Please fasten your seatbelts. Once we arrive in the Shadow Plane, I shall solicit the assistance of a local, as it were. Teneval Adar steps out of the swirling vortex of her portal only to stumble from a blast of icy wind. The cold itself doesn't bother her much, but the force of the gust is impressive. Looking around, she sees that the temple Zeno's message had led her to is built into the peak of a mountain. Another slice of wind tears across the courtyard, disturbing small pieces of rubble and debris. As she takes in the exterior of the massive temple, she fully understands why they want, no, need, to reconsecrate this place. The air is heavy with the stain of Zonkuthan. The closer she moves to the entryway, the more suffocating the aura becomes. A chill that has nothing to do with the wind sets up in her bones. Tendrils of darkness seem to climb up her body, teasing at her soul. She closes her eyes, steadying herself, and wraps a hand around the symbol of a spiraling comet that hangs from her neck. The tendrils pull back and the dread in the air becomes more manageable. She takes a deep breath and opens her eyes to see Ziva and Oren. Three months. It had been three months since she had seen them last. In that time, she and her brother Trelax had worked diligently to restore their enclave to some semblance of normalcy. Though many of her friends and kin had maintained their practices in the Kuthite ways, Tenna could not. She had seen the true horrors that the Midnight Lord rejoiced in and would not ever fall beneath his shadow again. And as they had worked to properly lay to rest the multitude of Kyal that had been slaughtered and desiccated at the hands of the corrupted Kuthites, Tenna had discovered the teachings of a different deity, Phrasma. As she learned more of the Lady of Graves, the Lady of Fate, she felt a sense of purpose and peace she had never known while following the ways of Zankuthan. That same peace filled her now as she approached the awaiting team. Looking across the remaining space between them, she sees Ziva, a small but warm smile on her face. That face had haunted Tenna's dreams. The face of the Herald. No, no, she was no more the Herald than Tenna was. She knows this now, but seeing her again still makes Tenna's breath catch in her throat. For just a moment, she is overwhelmed by the darkness again. The darkness that had fed her lies and twisted virtues and pushed her to find this woman. 
Tenna feels a phantom blade drag across her skin over an existing scar. But again, she clutches her symbol of phrasma and focuses on the present. Focused on how fate had led her through her trials and her pain to this very moment. She sends out a silent prayer of thanks as she regains her composure, her eyes moving to the man next to Ziva, Oren. Whispering another prayer of thanks, she smiles at the human, the human who had brought her back to life. She could still remember the sensation, how it felt to die. The unbearable pain as her mind was wrenched apart, her last thought, concern for her twin, and then the blackness. But the void only held her for a moment, then warmth and light. She felt the pull of some cosmic force drawing her back and then saw him, Orin, this surly, gruff stranger staring at her, much as he was now. Doing all right, kid? It is good to see you both again, and I am glad to be able to assist you in this endeavor. My brother and I, we've been doing our best to remove the influence of Zonkaton where we can. And I certainly feel his touch in this place. Indeed, the atmosphere is rather suffocating. Even against the typical shadow plane aesthetic, rather oppressive doom and gloom design of this place is really starting to damage my calm. <laughs> you ready, ladies? Zonkuthan's stain is making me sick. Oren turns to head inside the temple, raising a hand in front of his face to shield his eyes from the chill wind ripping across the mountain. Ziva gestures for Tenna to follow, placing a hand on Tenna's back and smiles at her reassuringly. Darkness pervades the inside of the temple, Oren's moat casting light against the walls but deepening the shadows within. Shadowy tendrils seem to creep along the edges of the light. Chains wrap around the length of the central pillars, scarring their elaborate, hebraic inscriptions, and the smell of blood hangs thick in the air. They stop near the center of the chamber, and Oren looks up through the cracked and dirty skylight that Tenna assumes was once the central feature of this temple. The constellations overhead seem barely visible through the writhing darkness. Oren opens the large book he's been carrying. Let's begin. So, I'm going to pause the, the narration for just a second uh, and talk about ritual casting. Okay. So, uh, so far, thank you, Zach and Emily and jo- John, for uh, a great first half of this interlude. Really, really enjoyed that. Um, so, with the ritual casting, I just thought it would be fun to kind of show off this mechanic that's uh, f- featured in Galactic Magic. And um, what it is, is a spell that can be completed as a group over a, a longer period period of time. Right. And there's a script for every ritual spell and Orin has been granted the ritual script for consecrate place and so in order to do a ritual you have to be you have to know the script or be given it you know it's not just something that you can learn when you level up or whatever you have to find rituals and and learn them for this particular ritual we're going to do consecrate place it can have up to two assistants so Orin is going to be the primary caster with Tenna and um, Ziva as his assistants. Um, I'm not going to go through all of it because we're going to kind of take this back into narrative focus. Um, we are following the rules pretty straight up and down, although just kind of realigning a couple things to make it make more sense narratively or to flow better narratively. But I just wanted to pause for a second and let everybody know that we are kind of featuring a, a ritual here and, uh, I, th- I think it's a fun little little thing to do. Uh, fortunately for y'all, Consecrate Place is a fairly easy ritual to pull yeah. off at your level. Um, so this shouldn't cause you any problems. Huzzah! <laughs> <laughs> and we will start this ritual. Ziva produces a bundle of incense. It's made from a rare plant that only grows on Castroville. I keep some on the ship... Or when I'm feeling nostalgic. 
It's quite expensive, so it should serve our purposes. She lights the incense and places it on the floor between them. Smells unusual to Tenna. Sweet. Too sweet for her taste, but it dilutes the rusty odor of blood permeating the room. After a while, it burns away, leaving only a pile of ashes. Orin waves his hand over the space they've gathered around, and a faint light appears on the floor in the pattern of a constellation Tenna has never seen before. She looks to the mystic, and he nods for her to proceed. Tenna takes the pile of ashes in her hands, and with it, carefully traces the constellation pattern in ash along the floor, enclosing it within a circle once she's finished. Tenna, I need you to roll a mysticism check, please. That is a dirty 30. <laughs> dirty 30. So you succeed in preparing this circle by kind of infusing, I guess, some of the, the magic of Phrasma into the circle. Although we are channeling Ebra here, but your, your connections to magic and to deities allows you to aid Orin in creating a space to receive Ebra. So, then, Orin places the book on the floor next to him and extends his arms towards Tenna and Ziva. They all join hands, and Tenna can feel energy arcing between the three of them. A warmth, slight at first, but a stark contrast to the cold darkness within the temple. They close their eyes and begin to focus. The warm sensation she feels begins to grow, and an inner light seems to fill Tenna's vision, behind her eyelids. She hears Orin gasp as if his breath is taken away. Orin, I need you to make a will save. Okay. So that is going to be a 24. Tenna opens her eyes and sees that his are open as well. But there are no pupils, no irises, only the infinite vast of the cosmos. He opens his mouth, but there are no words, only light and it radiates throughout his body until he is consumed by it. Tenna looks away just for a moment, and suddenly the three of them are floating in space, nebula swirling around them, stars colliding and bursting into new galaxies. Time has no meaning. They remain there floating, but Tenna is unsure for how long. A minute? Or millennia? She can't tell. The light emanating from Orin flashes brightly, blinding her momentarily starts to recede slowly and she can see that they're back in the temple. The light pushes out the darkness in the room, leaving it pristine. There are no chains, no tendrils, no blood. The pillars surrounding them appear new, their intricate star chart patterns pulsing with faint light. The ritual worked. The stain of Zankuthan no longer remains. The last of the light fades from Orin as he sucks in a sharp breath and he looks to Ziva, then to Tenna, with a bewildered expression. Almost in unison, they all look up. Beyond the restored skylight, now clear and uncracked, the stars seem to cut through the darkness, even here in the shadow plane, and shine brightly against the black curtain of the night sky. Two years later. The air is harsh and dry beneath the unforgiving rays of the blue sun, Gavaniska. Elevated railways crisscross the densely populated city of Command Prime, while intercycles and cruisers speed along the busy grid of streets. The Imperial Palace and massive and imposing pyramid consumes half the skyline, marking this city as the proud seat of the Vescaria. Skittermanders and Patras scurry about an open-air cafe carrying platters of fragrant, heavily seasoned meats and refilling tankards. Fell, Kuiper, Mike, and Rupert sit around a shared table in the shade of an awning amidst the noisy lunch crowd. Well, how was it, folks? Was the trip to your satisfaction? 
Uh, I mean, you know, just like any other. Good comp, good company, though. Yeah, it's just like like going anywhere else. Uh, not really a vacation, but it sure looks like one. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, so, what have you all been doing lately? I mean, I went and spent a little bit of time with my family, but uh, mostly I've been working on the tracer, trying to, trying to, trying to get it, you know, just right. Well, that's good. That's good. And Michael, how have you been? Oh, uh, you know, uh, one day at a time, as they say, uh, it's mostly been workity work for me and hanging out with, uh, Pops here. He gestures to Rupert next to him. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, after, uh, the events of, you know, everything that went down, it was twice now that I had had to run off on the APA, uh, on short notice, not be around, run my business like I needed to. Um, so I've really just uh, been on the grind, focused on, on the APA and, you know, our sort of collective with the pools and the Android Abolitionist Front and all that. So I've mostly been uh, playing drill sergeant, so to say, um, training a lot, lot of new recruits for the APA, getting them ready for all the work missions they'll need to be going on. Well, I hope you're ready for the training you're going to be receiving. <laughs> I'm always ready. Fantastic. I don't know if I told you, Fel, but... Well, uh, I put in a call with a local Dashko master here, and uh, I requested that uh, Michael go through Dashko training. After seeing him wield Dashko for the first time, it, it felt it was my imperative to make sure to, to officiate the training. So Yeah, you know, I think he'd, uh, he'd look good with a Dashko in his hands. I think so, too. And you know, for a second there, I thought you were about to say that uh, you got the trainer from me, and I was a little bit concerned because uh, I, I didn't really... I don't know how, how comfortable I feel with that. Oh, come on, you can come with us. I, I mean... Yeah, I could, but, uh, nah, nah, I, I, I got some other stuff I got to take care of while I'm here. Speaking of, what, what's, what's going on with you? Well, uh, you remember Tiberius? Yeah. And. Yeah, I remember him. Well, uh, I, I got, I got word from him that, uh, I'll be getting some work done. You know, I'm a, I'm a finally, finally be able to pursue the augmentations that I've been looking for. It's it's been I mean, it's been my life's dream and it looks like it's coming gonna come true. A little bit little bit concerned that uh D9's gonna be doing the work. Not not so much that they do a bad job or that they put anything in me or anything weird, but like I don't know, it still still feels a little bit weird like leaning on them like that, you know? Well, it's the least that they could do after repairing the sheep and whatnot, so but hey just be careful they don't put any bugs in you, right? Yeah, well, I'll, uh, I'll make sure I've got uh, Lil Terry, and he gestures to his exocortex, uh, to run a scan on me and make sure I'm, I'm good to go once they're finished. Uh, you, hey, you need me? No, 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 not right now, buddy. We're, we're good. I appreciate Aww. it. Aw, all right. Bye. Night-night, Terry. Fellas, I've, I've got to say, um, it's, it's great getting to see you. Um... Like I said, I've been working a whole lot, uh, but I've been getting to hang out with my dear old dad a lot more than we ever did. Um, so that's been really cool. And not only am I, you know, going to go to this Doshko school that uh, Kuiper vouched for me on, but um, it's pretty cool. Uh, dad gets to come back to the Vescarium. You know, he was he was born here. Um, I wasn't, but. Makes it makes it all the more special. That's right, Mikey. And you know, I'm not getting any younger, and so I've been feeling desire. Come back, reconnect with my roots. So here I am too. You know, back with Mikey and Kuiper. Now, it's good to see you again, Rupert. It's uh, it's been a little bit. It has been. It's been too long. It's good to see you again. Uh, so. 
anyways, enough gabbing about ourselves. What's going on with you, Kuiper? I've been here and there about, uh, you know, after spending some time on uh, Bulls of Paradise, you know, I'm trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And it was nice, you know, leisurely activities, but I need to be doing something. And, well, I felt a call. I had this call that told me that I need to face my fears. And after the events of Eclipse Innovations, well, I decided to re-enlist. And uh, I decided to fight for the resistance against the swarms with resurgence. Wait, the swarm? Yes. Again? They're not not taken, they're, they're not gone. The fuck? I mean, I figure it'd be near impossible to get rid of all of them. Yeah, I suppose, but like, I don't know, man. The, the shit we've seen, I guess it's it's not not outside the uh, realm of possibilities. They're quite a nasty, nasty breed. They're very hard to exterminate. Yeah, um, I mean, that being the case only kind of solidifies you know what I've what I've been feeling like obviously I, I, I like to fight and all that so I mean training at this Doshko schools um, what would be expected of me I, I suppose but you know the reason I, I agreed to come out here is after all that we've been through even though it's been a couple of years like I can't I can't shake this feeling that there's at any moment we might be pulled into some bullshit again and be fighting for our lives. Be, you know, on the back foot for weeks, months at a time. You never know. Like, the last time we were on fucking vacation. Yeah. You feel that too, huh? Yeah, actually, uh, I definitely do. You know, I'm, I'm gonna have to talk to Tiberius, see if he can... I don't know what he'd be able to do, if, if, if anything, but... Who knows? See, see if there's something else I can ask him to do, to train me to do. I don't know something to to. I don't know. I feel like I could do better, or I could be better. Yeah, I mean, I feel that, but I mean, I don't mean to be braggadocious, but you know, training all these recruits and stuff is great and all, but I mean, call it paranoia, but I just. I keep feeling like there might be something around the corner and I'm not going to get any better where I'm at. So, you know, I just want to, I want to get, I want to continue to progress and not stagnate so that if something comes, and it, it likely won't, but if something comes up and we get put in situations like we were in the past, I can be ready. I can be as strong as I need to be because I almost failed the last time. Yeah, same couple of times and with that we fade out of the scene and into a new one Kuiper is leading Michael and Rupert past the parade grounds of the Imperial Palace to the entrance of a low roofed sandstone building leaning against a pillar near the entrance is a scarred and muscular vesk shirtless and wearing a pair of loose fitting burlap pants a leather harness across his chest he sees Kuiper, and the hint of a smile crosses his weathered face. Kuiper approaches the Vesk. Master Sobak, it's good to see you. It's been too long. Thank you for taking the time out of your training to meet with us. Kuiper, you wily old Patra. How the hell have you been? You look like skitter shit. A little more wear on the bones, but my claws are sharp as ever. It's been a hell of a time. So much has happened since... I don't need your whole life story, Kuiper. Kuiper lowers his gaze. Of course, Master. I did not mean to waste your time. Well, that's the whole job. Having my time wasted by wannabes like you. Who's your time-wasting friend here? Mike approaches Master Sobek, a grin on his face. Uh, I'm... I'm Titanium Mike. Uh... Michael Agomason, it's a pleasure to meet someone as renowned in the ways of martial combat as you are, sir. Ignoring Michael, Sobak turns back to Kuiper. 
You sure you want to do this? You know how it went last time. Perplexed, Mike looks from Sobok back to Kuiper. I assure you, Master, I've sharpened my skills and I keep at my cutters daily. Besides, someone has to keep an eye out for the noodle recruits. Sobok's silent appraisal fills the space between them. Oh, and this is Mr. Rupert Akamasan. Sobok smiles and turns to the aging Vesk, approaching with his hand extended. Rupert shakes Master Sobok's hand, surprised at the sudden warmth of the Dashko Master's embrace. Welcome back to the Vescarium, Dr. Agamasan. Gavaniska smiles upon your arrival. If there is any way the fangs of Demurtosh may be of service to you, you need but ask. Oh, well, I wouldn't want to impose, but... I wouldn't mind taking a tour of the famous fangs of Demoritosh. Bless my scales, a true son of Gavaniska is always welcome in the halls of the fangs of Demoritosh. Follow me. The group keeps close to the old master as they tour the grounds. It's been over a decade since Kuiper last set foot in these halls. A blink in time compared to how long this structure has been around, which is indeterminable thanks to the gap. The school offers relatively few comforts, even to Vesk, to the point of using braziers and natural lighting instead of electricity. As Sobok guides the group down the hallway, students part to the side walls, bowing their heads in respect, and greet the retinue. Along the walls, paintings of former stern-faced masters seem to judge the visitors in silence as they reach a final set of double doors. Without missing a beat, Sobok pushes the doors open forcefully clearly now entering his domain, the dojo. Inside, the smells of old earth and incense permeate the open air. As Gavaniska nears its zenith, one of the walls is illuminated, though, revealing a bas-relief depicting Demoratash iconography in the Vescarium solar system. Sobak gestures to a student to arrange seating for Rupert and turns back to the doctor with a warm smile. Enjoy the show. Michael sits among the other recruits along the perimeter of the dojo, holding his yellow star plasma dushko in his lap. Kuiper takes his place with the students outside the ring of recruits. As the dashko master enters the main stage, he adopts a more authoritative posture, quietly assessing this new batch of recruits for weaknesses, like a predator on the prowl. With a commanding tone, the old Vesk breaks the silence and sternly addresses the recruits. Every one of you prospects are at least familiar with Adashko. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Most of you have likely held your parents' Doshkos at one point or another. Those of you who've already used one for its intended purpose, unless you were trained by me or one of my instructors, I will break you of whatever bad habits or poor instructions you have learned. Michael, front and center. Michael stands up and approaches, eager to show his prowess against the old master. Present me your weapon. Michael, grinning, presents his doshko to the Vesk. Sobak regards the weapon for a moment, almost with reverence, and then proceeds to break it in half across the knee. You haven't earned this yet. Momentarily stunned, Mike looks at the doshko, then back to Sobak, and his brow creases in aggravation. Hey, that Doshko's worth a chunk of creds, and you just snap it like a twig. Who's gonna pay for it? Sobak's fist flashes through the still air of the dojo, connecting cleanly with Mike's ear. Suddenly disoriented, Mike drops to a knee. When he looks up to Sobak, his face is a caricature of rage, but he manages to still the impulse to lash out. Kuiper winces, regretting he didn't tell Mike to leave his Doshko behind. Good. There may be hope for you yet, you cocksure tourist. This action occurs with several more recruits. Broken pieces are tossed aside, picked up by a student, and thrown in a room piled with broken Doshkos. A Doshko is more than just a weapon that you can buy from a vendor. It's a symbol 
Can anyone tell me what it's a symbol of? Kuiper hears several of the usual answers. Honor, strength, courage, or demoritash. These are all good answers, but not the answer. The doshko is a symbol of truth. Its weight, size, grip, the design of its teeth, all impart their own truth. This is not a skitter staff. This is an instrument of war. It is the embodiment of simple, direct hostility. It is not your friend. It is your teacher. Immediately, a set of double doors opens up and two students enter the grounds carrying an imposing rectangular stone made of rock salt, setting it at the center of the room next to Sobok. The stone stands roughly two meters high and half a meter in length in width, roughly the size of a vesk. Using a dashko, he points at various features carved into its faces. The stone is a work of art with an elaborate relief of a vesk wielding a dashko and text flowing down each side. This stele depicts the first of our five tenets, dominance. Simply put, the large Vesk shifts his stance and activates his Dashko. It breathes to life, and with an overhead swing, he crushes the pillar to rubble. A short demonstration of power is more effective than a long explanation. Another steely is brought in. This one appears to be made of granite, etched with the text reading, Perseverance. Sobok pivots his hips as he drives his Doshko through its center mass, propelling the top half past the end of the stage, where it rolls to a stop. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. The next one is a familiar tan, the same color as the reinforced sandstone of this dojo. The word reason is scrawled along the length of it. In front of it, an armed student assumes a defensive posture, presumably to protect the steely behind him. Combat ensues. The student does his best not to overextend his reach and keep close to his charge, but the old Vesk is clearly more experienced. Deflecting all his opponent's attacks, Sobok's Dashko makes contact with the rock numerous times and the student is finally overwhelmed. With a flourish, Sobok trips the student and lands a heavy blow shattering the already cracked steely. Critical thought. Own your outcome. Again, the doors open. Three students emerge, hauling a large emerald, the same dimensions as the steelies before it. Gavaniska's light pours in from above, casting emerald beams along the grounds of the dojo, mesmerizing some of the seated recruits. Sobak approaches with wide, elegant arcs, slices the pillar twice. The sheared pieces of emerald fall to the ground with an echoing thud. Slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. Tension and anticipation build as recruits anticipate what even more magnificent steely might be brought out. Sobak remains firmly planted in the middle of the dojo, arms crossed. Instructor Ilvaquan, come forward. A lithe female Kasatha stands up slowly and approaches the old Vesk, looking ashen as if dreading this moment. Sobak takes his own Dashko in two hands and offers it reverently to the instructor. Sacrifice. The dojo is eerily silent as the recruits await the next act of the ceremony. The sudden tension in the room is palpable, until finally Instructor Quan shifts her stance and abruptly swings the Doshko directly into the chest of Master Sobak. The sound of the impact is grisly as the Doshko's teeth tear through scales and muscle. The wet sound of blood splattering on the stone floor echoes over the audible gasp of the recruits. Remarkably, the old Vesk remains standing despite the brutal impact. Instructor Ilva Kwan wrenches the Doshko from her master's chest. 
Blood seeps from Sobok's wounds as another student rushes to support the master in case he falls. Surprisingly, he does not. To take one must first give. As Sobok, leaning on the shoulder of a student, is helped through the double doors and out of the room, Kuiper smirks as he sees Instructor Ilva Kwan's Dashko slowly grow its fifth and final tooth. The welcome ceremony is concluded, and Kuiper beams with exultation, approaching Michael to check up on him. It's amazing just how spry old Sobak still is. I can't believe you got a Sobak strike on your first day. But what about that ceremony? Pretty powerful, eh? How could you not feel the primal instinct surge within you? Uh, where the fuck did you take me to, Kuiper? I, th- I thought we were here to train, not to watch an old man get fucking murdered in front of us. I won't lie, I anticipated a different reaction. But I do not fault you, Michael. If it brings any relief, Sobak manipulates entropy, so in all likelihood that blow wasn't fatal. He has a healer here just in case. Besides, this ceremony was special. That instructor just graduated and earned the privilege of wielding a five-bladed dashko. It is an honor. This is only my second time seeing it. Normally, they just bring out an even harder steely to destroy. Oh, and Sorry about your Dashko. It was a good weapon, Michael. You could have warned me, bruv. I'd have left a Dashko on the bleeding ship. Uh, my, my broken weapon aside, I certainly didn't have Sobak letting one of his lackeys beam him with a Dashko on, the, on my Fangs of Demoritash bingo card for today. Uh, but you've got to respect the showmanship. Really builds the mystique. It does make sense that he'd have a way to negate the damage, but fuck me, it was brutal to watch. Well, what do you think? Surely we did not come all this way for you to lose your nerve on the first day. Kuiper, perhaps you've forgotten who you're speaking with? Once the venerable master gets them holes in his chest sealed up, he's going to learn I'm not some green recruit. True son of Gavanishka or not, I'm the toughest goddamn Vesk anyone's ever seen, including old Sobak up there. <sighs> Just give it time, Michael. I think you will come around to Master Sobak. Hell of a show, boys. And we fade out from that scene. We move forward a little bit in time to a different place. So, again, I guess I need to change. The labs of D9 deep beneath the surface of Vesk Prime were just a bit too similar to the buried halls of Eclipse Innovations and Arellos for Fell's liking. But over the last few weeks, the Verthani has adjusted to his new surroundings and quieted some of his inner trauma. For one... He chose to be here, and is not here to stop an evil force from causing galactic doom. Tiberius and Fell had developed a strong connection of mutual respect during their time spent repairing the Epic Tracer. Tiberius respected Fell's survival instincts and resourcefulness, and Fell couldn't help but be deeply impressed by the tech and determination of Tiberius' ship engineers. The two have maintained communications over the last two years, and in that time, they found a friendship that neither of them really expected. Fell had confided in Tiberius that he feels like he has been pulled into a life of protection despite having a past of being a simple starship mechanic. He felt as if his dreams of augmentations had been stifled and that he was unable to match his peers in their duties of the APA. Tiberius offered the Verthani an opportunity to come to his facility in Vesk Prime to train and to have access to some of the best augmentation specialists in the galaxy. Felino did not hesitate to accept the offer. So Josh, let's take a second and talk about what we did with Fel. Okay. Um, I 
let Josh kind of respec fell. Um, we rolled for ability scores all that time ago, uh, 170 plus episodes ago, and before that when we were making the characters, and Josh rolled really, really terribly. They were really uh, bad. They were really bad. And, um, you know, I want. I don't know when we're going to have the opportunity to play high-level characters again, and I wanted him to at least be up to par with the rest of the party and for Josh to enjoy his character playing it, you know, mechanically. So he's gone to D nine and is training with Tiberius, but it's also like, like amplifying his physical makeup uh, with augmentations and, and some of the kind of dark science that D nine has access to. So Josh, why don't you tell me what that's been like for Fel? You've now been here for, you know, you started here at the beginning of this little part of the interlude, but it's now been, you know, almost 10 months at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's been rough. Uh, it's been a lot of time under the knife. Um, basically going through physical therapy, not so much the relearning to walk, but, uh, cause they didn't touch his, uh, the leg augmentations that he had done so long ago. Bright, bright. How could you get rid of bright, bright's augmentations? Yeah. Hey, they, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a lot of, uh, a lot of time of self-reflection as he's realizing that he could have done better or could have been better. And on top of that, finally getting his wish fulfilled being, you know, of the augmented cast of the Verthani to actually have real full-on, like, major augmentations. Hmm. So, so now you, like, how many augmentations do you have now? A total of five, if you don't include the exocortex or any of the stuff it has with it. Wow. I was just say, like, what does Fell look like at this point? You know, like... Well, I mean, he has uh, dermal plating now, for one. So, I'm, I'm not sure... Fell gets really, naked? I mean, <laughs> I don't know if Fell can get naked. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> um, um, I, I, surely he feels, like, accomplished, though. I know this has been something that Fell has wanted since a teenager, really, right? Mm-hmm, to to, mm-hmm. to fully embrace augmentation. You don't have to go through all of them, but what's? Can you give me one augmentation that you're really excited about? Honestly, that dermal plating, really getting mm-hmm. just just a flat dr is is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also some uh, some things. I'm I'm gonna keep most of it in pocket, but some mm-hmm. some stuff to uh, make it even more impossible to kill him. <laughs> I've looked uh, at a sheet, y'all. Fell is a fucking. Impenetrable force at this point. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I, I'm very excited to see Fell in action, and I do think that you know, I, I, you tell me, does Fell feel more? What's his mindset now about being part of the APA and going through this training and all these augmentations changes? He feels more comfortable, more of himself than he had before like these these changes were a part of him that needed to be there that hadn't been and in this process and also somewhat in the memory of Zeno uh, dabbled ever so slightly in technomancy oh wow interesting curious to see how that plays out what was uh, how have has your relationship with Tiberius developed over this time if anything they've just grown to have even more of a respect for each other and for what the two of them do together or ha- for, for how the two of them, they've gone from just a mutual respect to a genuine friendship mm-hmm. and almost like a, a mentor type figure for fell in in learning how to how to better use his abilities how to better how to, how to be the best person or the best version of himself that he can be through the power of augmentation <laughs> and technology um and final question i'm going to ask you is of course d9 would 
invite you to be part of D9. What would Fel say to that? You know, I... Look, I really appreciate everything you've done. But, uh... I mean, I, I don't have any, any reason that I wouldn't want to work with you or wouldn't want to work for you. My place is back at the APA. I can respect that, fellow. In fact, I've been trying to get out of the D9 for the last four years. <laughs> we might have it open for you, buddy. <laughs> I think that we're best served being allies. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, good luck to you, Fel. If you ever need anything, you know who to call. Yeah, you too, man. End scene. A year passed as Kuiper and Michael trained at the fangs of Demoratosh. The newness of their rigorous training wore off as summer turned to fall on Vesk Prime. It was a Spartan existence but it lent a calmness and clarity to life that neither of them had experienced before. By winter, the training had become routine, and their hard work began to pay off. They were sharper and stronger, determined but patient. As their skill with the Dashko grew, so did their friendship. The two pushed each other and depended on each other, and so their bond had not only the time to grow, but the reinforcement of relying on one another daily. By spring, even Sobok was impressed with their progress, though he would never admit this fact openly. Master Sobok was fond of Kuiper in a distant sort of way, but his outward attitude toward Mike remained as hostile and antagonistic as their first meeting. Thus, it was a shock to Mike when Sobok called him to the stage as summer began to come around once more. To grant Mike and Kuiper the third tooth of each of their respective Dashkos. To celebrate their graduation, Rupert invited them to his apartment for dinner. Before we dig in, I just want to congratulate you boys. It's not every day a Vesk father gets to witness his son achieve the third tooth. Michael, I'm proud of you, son. And Kuiper, don't think I've forgotten about you. Seeing you boys grow, not only as fighters, but as friends, has warmed my old scales. It really means a lot getting to spend this last year here in the Vescarium, and getting to share a little of my home with my only son. I know this place isn't home for you, Michael, but it's where I was born, where Kuiper was born. And where all the vests come from. I'm just thankful for the opportunity to show you some of what my home world has to offer. The good and the bad. And so, if you'll raise your glasses, I'd like to propose a toast. To first class fighters, second chances, the third tooth of the Dashko. Rupert, Kuiper, and Mike enjoy a much-needed evening of food, drink, and pleasant company. Late in the evening, after several bottles of wine, Kuiper retired to his own apartment, leaving Michael with his father. Oh, come on, Mike. You don't have to do all that. I'll, I'll clean up. No, no, Pops. I want to help. You did all the cooking, after all. Well, if you say so. I appreciate it. These old bones don't move like they used to. Mike had begun to notice the effects of old age catching up to his father. It saddened him to think of Rupert's mortality. Oh, come off it, old man. You're still as spry as a Vesk half your age. No, Michael. No, I'm not. I'm getting old, son. The truth is, I probably won't be around for too much longer. <laughs> I'm almost 80 years old. Don't talk like that, Dad. You, you'll be around for years to come. I certainly hope so, kiddo. 
but I can feel my age weighing me down. It's just a part of life. Michael looked at his father, seeing the age, seeing the truth. I, I don't mean to kill the mood, son. I just want you to know, in case I don't get the chance to tell you again how proud of you I am, truly. You're a big fella. You've got an even bigger heart. You're a hell of a fighter, but more important than that, you care fiercely about people. You never forgot how to love in the midst of all that violence. You're a good man, and a great friend. Well, well thanks, Pops. I, I don't know what to say. I think I, I think I got that from you and from Mom. When the Aslanti separated us, I had to grow up fast, the hard way. But I, I always remembered you and Mom and, and how much you took care of me, took care of each other. I just wish we hadn't lost so much time. There's nothing we can do to get those years back, son. Time's a straight line and there's no turning back. But I'm really glad I got the chance to know you. I know we've got to head back to the pack world soon. And you need to get back to your life. Back to your business. But what you and Kuiper have done, bringing an old Vesk back to his home, letting me reconnect with my roots, treating me with dignity. You didn't have to do any of that. It means the world to me, son. I might not be able to get all them years back, but I've tried my best, Dad, and it means the world to me, too. A tear rolls down Rupert's cheek as he looks into the eyes of a son he thought he'd lost forever. I love you, son. Love you, too, Dad. Anyway, if you're done making an old man cry, you should go and check on your friend. You know, he... He put back a few bottles. Wouldn't want him to wake up somewhere he shouldn't. Yeah, I, uh... I suppose I should. Uh, get some rest, Pop. I'll, uh, come help you pack in the morning, and I'll... I'll make sure the alley cat comes along, too. Hey, don't talk about your friend like that. He might have to make sure you get home safe one day. And we'll see you for season three of the Apollo Protection Agency. Woo! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Woo! Woo!